Why, hello, it is Adam. Welcome back to Bringing It Backwards, a podcast where both legendary and rising artists tell their own personal stories of how they achieve stardom. On this episode, we hung out with Rosie over Zoom video. Rosie was born and raised just outside of New York City in a small suburb and talks about how she got into music, comes from a very musical family. Her mom grew up in theater and dancing. Her dad played bass and violin, guitar, and they always supported her with all of her music endeavors. Actually wanted her to go to music college instead of most you know, parents are like, yeah, why don't you go get a degree and then you can kind of focus on this hobby. They were like, you should go to Berkeley. If you get in, you're going to Berkeley. And she did. She went to Berkeley School of Music. We talk about that. She started off on the violin. At age 12, Rosie began playing guitar and then she started writing songs fairly shortly after that. Her older brother, Mateo, is also a songwriter and actually manages her now and he's been a big part of her musical journey so she tells us a little bit about them and their relationship rosie talks about her experience at berkeley her sophomore year at berkeley is when the pandemic hit she had to move back home wasn't getting a whole lot of traction on her songs and her brother said you know what why don't you put a video up on tiktok of one of your songs for every day for two weeks and let's see what happens and five days in She had a massive moment with the song Never the One. She talked about having 8 million views on the video in less than 24 hours. What that was like and how overwhelming it was having people reach out to her, you know, oh my gosh, like, you know, labels and managers and producers and all these people uh, because she's having this viral moment on TikTok. Rosie also talks to us about her first EP, which is called 20 Milligrams of Happiness. It has the song never the one on it also retail therapy we hear about that song a bit and she tells us all about the new music and her brand new single which is called someone you once had you can watch our interview with rosie on our facebook page and youtube channel at bringing it backwards it'd be amazing if you subscribe to our channel like us on facebook follow us on instagram twitter and tiktok at bringing back pod and if you're listening to this on spotify apple music google Podcasts, it'd be incredible if you follow us there as well and hook us up with a five-star review. We'd appreciate your support if you follow and subscribe to our podcast, wherever you listen to podcasts. We're bringing it backwards with Rosie. Awesome. So again, I'm Adam, and uh, this is about you and your journey in music, and we'll talk about uh, the new song that you just released, which is awesome. I've been listening to it um, all morning long. I love the hook. So... Awesome. So first off, um, well, where were you born and raised? So I was born and raised about 40 minutes outside of New York City. Oh, wow. Okay. Yeah. So Rockland County, Nyack is specifically what it's called. So would you go into the city quite often? Yeah. So growing up, I'd say when I was maybe in 10th grade, I started going in by myself and maybe, you know, going to a recording studio or something, but it was very Uh much still an adventure, you know? Sorry, let me turn my Do Not Disturb on. Okay. Do Not Disturb. There we go. (laughs) Cool. So like you said, 10th grade, you'd start going into the city. And that was by yourself at that point? Yeah, and I would meet my brother because my brother was always in and out of the city. And Mm -hmm. for those who don't know, my brother is also my manager. And he's also an incredible songwriter. So he started going into the city and playing gigs and, and doing sessions way before I did. Okay, older brother. Yes, yes. Okay. Yeah. And you come from a, from what I was reading, uh, quite a creative and, and musical household, really. I mean, your dad's a musician, and 
I think your mom was a musician as well. Yes. So growing up, I always say that I was, I was really musically inclined because my dad was a bass player and a violinist and my mom sang and was in theater and my aunt and uncle are in a band and my grandmother and my grandfather on both sides were really musical. And so I was always encouraged to do music. I know in some families, uh, you're discouraged. (laughs) Maybe music shouldn't be your first passion career. Right. In mine personally, I was always pushed towards it and thank gosh, thank goodness, because I I don't want to be doing anything else. That's awesome. Yeah. Uh, A lot of people don't have that like support when it comes to like a creative endeavor like that. It's like, yeah, that's a cool hobby, but how about you go to school to do something that you're probably not interested in? Right. No, I, okay. So I had the exact opposite, which was when I was, do you mind if I go on a little rant here? No, this is the point of this. So, So when I was in 11th grade and I was applying to colleges, I kept saying to my mom, I want to go into a helping profession. I want to go into a helping profession, you know, nurse, therapist, psychologist, some type of mental health help. Uh All I had was help. And my family was like, of course, we so support you. Uh, Would you also maybe like consider applying to one music school? And I was like, I guess. I mean, like, I don't think I'll get in, but obviously I'm down to try. So I applied to Berkeley. I didn't apply to any other uh, music colleges because I didn't think I was going to get in. So I applied to a bunch of schools for uh, psychiatry or psychology or mental health. Mm-hmm. And when I finished applying and did my audition for Berkeley College of Music, my mom was like, by the way, my family was like, by the way, um, if you get in, like, you're going. And I was like, <laughs> what do you mean? Like, I want to be in a helping profession. And they were like, just, you know, just trust us. So I got in and you know, we really had to pull together as a family to make it work because it's sure. a very expensive school. I was say it's not cheap. Yeah, yeah it's, it's not cheap. And, you know, we always, we didn't grow up like that. So it was a big community effort, but like we made it happen. And I instantly got there and I was like, oh, wait, music is a helping profession. And I started learning about the psychology of music and music therapy. And I started learning about the cognitive effects of music on the brain. And suddenly I was like, oh my God, like my mom knew the whole time. Like my dad knew the whole time. Like they were always, they would have, they always say like, I would have 100% supported you going to be a nurse, going to med school, going to like get your, you know, your, your degree in psychology, get your license, whatever. They were like, we just had a hunch, you know? And I think they always believed in me more than I did, which I'm very, very fortunate. So that's amazing. And I was going to say, you kind of explained it too is just like your music lyrically and everything is very mental health and helpful like you're able to still kind of be therapeutic for people or you know kind of an outlet for people even though it's you know you do it through your songs instead of just sitting there and being like okay let's uh you know break down your your issue or whatever it's like you're doing it uh through your music anyway I try. I really appreciate that. And that, that really is my intention and my mission as an artist and just my passion in general is to advocate for mental health and, and be a resource through music and just use my platform uh-huh. in a good way, hopefully in a positive way. 
No, for sure. And you're just so authentic too. I mean, you, you break it down to even like, I don't wear makeup. I don't do all these things. It's like, yeah. this is just me. <laughs> it's, you know, it's funny because on the good days, just being me is great, you know, <laughs> but on the days where my mental health isn't so great, or I didn't get a lot of sleep like today, or, you know, I have to show up and I'm like, no, 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 no. I don't just show up as me on the, on the good days. Cause that's when it's easy. Like I have to show up when I don't feel like my best self, or I don't feel like I look amazing or I don't feel good in my skin or my body or whatever. So it it really tests me sometimes, but it's also extremely like rewarding to see the benefit and to see it hopefully motivating other people to, to embrace themselves and just like be comfortable with who they are. So. Yeah. hundred percent. I love it. Um, so you obviously were encouraged to do music, uh, for how early on, like, were you put in like piano lessons as a, a child or, uh, bass, maybe violin from, from dad. You guessed it. Yeah. So <laughs> I started classical violin when I was 10 oh, Okay. and that was my training all the way up until I was 18. So I did like about eight years and I kept going, um, through college, but classical violin has played a huge role in my music like a huge influence i play strings on some of my own tracks mm-hmm. I, I love cinematic music i love any music that incorporates the violin i just it's become such a big part of who i am but yeah i started when i was 10 and then when i was 12 my babysitter actually taught me my first chords on guitar and then my dad helped me out of course okay. and, and my mom was always singing to me and so i, I started I like to say I started my musical journey when I was 10, but by no means was it a profession at 10, you know? Well, sure. Um, well, at 10, I mean, even learning violin, you said you did that all the way into college. Was that what you went to Berkeley for? Was it? No. So I, violin or no? I stopped taking lessons after high school and I went to college primarily for voice and songwriting. And then oh, cool. I studied music therapy for a year and then discovered right like the healing parts of songwriting and then mm-hmm. I switched gears into songwriting so it was mostly voice like once I went to college it was yeah mostly just like okay and what and as far as like your your brother goes what's the age gap there he is three years older than me okay. and any part of me that's here today is because of him like I, and truly because I I always say this like I was just a little sister like I just wanted to do everything he did so he wrote songs <laughs> so I wanted to play songs right like, he played violin so I wanted to play violin he played baseball so I wanted to play baseball like truly my whole life I've just been like following in his footsteps I always <laughs> say that but now I'm I'm so fortunate because he's my manager and just absolutely crushing it um but yeah we're three years and and yes we we really always have been close I try to explain that to people they don't like they don't get it. I'm like, no, I swear. Like, we've really always been besties. Like, That's really- awesome. Yeah. I, my sister's 11 years younger than I am. So it's mm-hmm. like, she doesn't remember me even living at the house. Or right. Right. So our relationship was strayed for a lot of years until, you know, more recently, but uh, that's so awesome. I always wish I had that, like to have, you know, the, a sibling that close and somebody in doing things that you were also interested in. Was he in a band or anything? Like, would you? Or, he was. I'm not. Would you like go watch him play? And, and yeah, I'm not gonna leave the name for his own. Yeah, yeah, no worries. For his. I was own just curious. Name. But yeah, he was in a band. He had a solo project as an artist, 
And, you know, he would bring me in on like backup vocals and stuff. Oh, that's cool. Young. And we've, we've always written together. Um, but he soon found like he realized how much he loves the songwriting aspect and, and helping mm-hmm. other people write songs, write songs as an artist. So that's kind of, and now to this day now, we write a lot of my stuff together. Amazing. So when did you start writing songs? You said at 12, you learned a few chords on guitar. Yeah, it was pretty, pretty immediately. I found when I picked up the guitar, I felt like there was something missing. Mm-hmm. I was like, oh, okay. Like I like playing guitar, but like, you know, like th- there was just something I couldn't, I couldn't figure it out because you, you know, if there are any beginners out here, Playing guitar and singing at the same time, not easy. Like, not no. at all. Still struggle. I honestly still struggle. Um, but I I remember I the first song I ever learned was Cooler Than Me by Mike Posner. Because oh, okay. it's three chords. And as soon as I started singing and playing at the same time, it was like, moment. I was like, wait, oh, wow. Like, you can do both of these things together. And that's when I learned. That's when I figured out. And I was like 12. But again... Very much a hobby. Very much just a kid. Yeah. Sing herself. Yeah. Did, did you play in a band or was it just something that you did? Like when you started writing songs, was that something you just kind of kept to yourself or were you, you know, yeah. actively showing people? No, I mean, I was pretty, I was pretty independent about it from a young age, mostly because I didn't really know anything about co-writing and, and also because I grew up in a part of New York where we were very close in a community and like seriously there were 18 people in my in my grade there were 60 people in my high school 200 in my entire K through 12 which I went my whole life so like there wasn't like a big you know like group of people to right. it was like oh Rosie's the songwriter like <laughs> you know what I mean like just because there was simply like no one else like, right there so few of us um so no band but okay. like I said, I, I always had Mateo and, and we were kind of each other's support. Right. Would you play like uh, coffee shops or anything like that? Yes. So <laughs> every year we had this event at our school called the Fall Fair. And it was at our school and it was exactly how it sounds. Pretty self-explanatory. It was a fall fair. There were like tractors and hay bales. And it was very like it was very rural the part of grew up we mm-hmm. the part of new york we grew up in so so it was very much i explain it as like crunchy granola okay. like there's a part of me that'll always be like crunchy granola like you know you have your like little boots on and you're like rain pants and you're working in the farm and whatever so there happened to be a white top it was like you know a concrete top where we would play at recess but it turned into a stage on that day and we were so proud because we had had people like tom chapin and like like people who knew about the waldorf school like i went to waldorf school and so i would perform there once a year and and there are still videos and i look back and i just i can't believe like i i went back last year for the first time this past year to the fall fair for the first time since all this is happening because my mom works at the school and i was like oh my god like, it was amazing. It was so cool to see the transformation. Did you play? I didn't play. Oh, I was just there. Epic. I was there as an <laughs> alumni and, and there as, sure. as a supporter of the school. But it was pretty wild. It was like the fact that I was like 
singing up there to like people when I was like 15. Yeah. Crazy. Did you do originals? Yes. Too? Yeah. Wow. Mm-hmm. Very cool. <laughs> it's like secondhand embarrassment. Like I know I'm so proud of where I came from truly, but I'm like, I cannot believe I was like a 14 year old singing these like heartbreak songs. And, <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Well, that's also, I mean, to have the confidence to do that, right? I mean, not a lot of people would have that. I sure wouldn't. I wouldn't be able to get up there and play a song that I wrote. I mean, I've I've always really liked to push myself outside of my comfort zone. I also grew up an athlete and a runner specifically. So discomfort was like something I just was always gearing towards for, for whatever uh-huh. reason. I don't know why I was always so inclined. Um, but I just kind of always was was raised on on the idea that like, having confidence is just having the guts to try, you know, mm-hmm. doesn't mean you have to succeed. doesn't mean you have to be great, but just like, if you try, that's really what having confidence means. And so I, in that case, I guess I do have it because I'm always down to try, you know what I mean? Like I tried every sport ever. I tried every instrument ever. I, you know, I, I was the president in every single club ever. Like I just <laughs> loved everything and I, and I really wanted to try everything. So very cool. What about uh, as far as singing goes? I mean, you went to Berkeley as a vocalist, which is impressive. And obviously you can sing really well. But like going into that, was that something that you um, did you take voice lessons or were you in the chorus or choir or anything like that growing up? Yeah. So that's a good question because because growing up, I always begged my parents for voice lessons. I was like, I want voice lessons. I want to be trained. I want to sound like I have trained vocals and my parents were always like listen we if that's something you want we'll support you but we feel like you should find your voice independently before you go and like find out how to sing you know they're like we think it's really important that you discover how you like to sing on your own before you get any type of like professional training because they're very wise yeah I know like (laughs) I mean I say it all the time. They're like the most supportive parents ever. They're the best. Um, so that was that. I mean, I sang in choir and stuff, but I never any training. And then when I got to Berkeley, I had a little bit of a voice crisis because everyone there was like singing these insane riffs and could belt super high. And I had never had a lesson in my life. And all these people had been, you know, jazz trained, classically trained since they were like eight. And I was like, and I call, I literally remember calling my mom and being like, mom, I'm really mad right now that I didn't have voice lessons. Like I'm so behind. I didn't get into any of the acapella groups. I never, like, I felt like such a bad singer. And finally, 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 like into my second year, I started finding my voice and my confidence and people started like hearing it. And they were like, it's so unique. Like people are saying, Oh, like it's so like it's raspy or it's so soft, but it's also so powerful. And like, how'd you get that tone? I'm like, I just never took lessons. Like, I don't know. I just learned to sing on my own. And I later found out I also have a vocal condition, which is why it sounds so raspy is because like when my vocal cords is like really tight and it doesn't close all the way when I sing or when I talk. Mm -hmm. So thanks to that as well, it sounds unique, but I thank my parents every day for the fact that they didn't put me in lessons because I don't sing traditionally because I didn't learn how. I mean, like now, right? Like now I can take voice lessons and apply them mm-hmm. to how I feel I sound best, which I do. But I really think my voice would be different if I had started lessons from a young age. That was such a long answer. But yeah, no. 
No less. No, that was a beautiful answer. That's uh, and I love the rasp to your vocals. I think there's something so cool about uh, like the female vocal that has that like grit kind of to it. I appreciate that. And I've never smoked a cigarette in my life. That's always the follow-up question. They like uh, tell me, like, are you I'm like so are you like a pack a day? <laughs> right, right. I'm like, no, it's uh, it's called vocal tension dysphonia. Uh-huh. Like me and Florence Pugh are out here with these like raspy voices. <laughs> Just born gifted. Know. He didn't have to smoke your way into it. Right. She, so she had something called, what it was a trachea, something with, with, she had like a, something in a trachea. I learned I this know. because I was so curious the other day, but it's a confession. It's a blessing and a curse. It's always right. a, a sore throat, but it's great. Uh-huh. Well, you have a great vocal. Yeah. Out of it. Um, well, so once you go to Berkeley and your, um, so you, fi- you find your voice in the sense, and are you playing around Berkeley too? Are you still, you're still songwriting? Cause that was kind of part of your degree, correct? I really tried. And like I said, if I got, I got into a couple of like the Berkeley, like created events, but I didn't get into many of them. Like you have to like apply, you have to audition. And I didn't get into a lot of them. And so it wasn't really until my second year that I started thinking about performing outside of that. So like the Middle East upstairs or downstairs is like a venue in in Boston that everybody Mm -hmm. knows and there were house shows in Alston and I only ever got to play one and then I had plans to play a second one and then the pandemic hit so I had plans I had so many plans and then 2020 happened so you were in college when 2020 I was a sophomore yeah Oh, bummer. So then what, you have to move back home? Yeah. Yes. It was such a difficult time, but it really forced me to quite literally sit in my room for eight hours a day and write songs. Cause what else was I going to do? Like I was back home with my parents. School was not, you know, a thing. Both my parents are really high risk. And so there was no going out and seeing anyone. This was pre, you know, vaccine, pre all that. So I just, literally sat in my room all day I may have gone a little crazy but all of these songs like all those first songs from uh 20 milligrams of happiness which is my first EP that dropped a couple years Uh ago those were all written in my room like by myself in the pandemic did you record them all in there as well like was all that done kind of by yourself in your room so it's funny because I was under the impression that once I went to LA that I would be completely recutting a lot of these vocals mm-hmm. and some of them I did, but some of them, because I was like in the midst, of, like a deep, deep heartbreak. And like, I was so going through it. The vocal takes that I got in my room with my audio technica USB mic, which is, may I just say like, perhaps the most beginner mic you can like possibly get. That's all I'm going to say. No, no hate, but I somehow like never the one, those are those vocals from my room, from my like little USB mic. Like there are parts of Screaming Underwater, parts of uh, all my favorite songs that like my producer, Noah Conrad, who did the whole thing, he was like, just keep them. He was like, why would you replace that? Like that's such raw emotion. I was like, okay. Yeah, I've, I've had other artists on the podcast that have said similar things where it was like, yeah, I recorded this in my closet with this $20 mm-hmm. USB mic. But when I went into the studio to try to re- recreate it, recreate it, I just couldn't do it. Like, so it just, it, I always found that fascinating where it's like, you're almost becoming 
inauthentic if you're trying to re like yeah re re-record something that you captured already i think a lot of it too in those first takes is exhaustion because if you just wrote a whole song right whether you're in a session or by yourself or whatever like that is not an easy like that is not an easy task i have so much respect for songwriters and artists and just anyone who does a session producers etc but I find that if I don't like track my song after I finish it, it's not the same. Right. So after this entire process, it's like, okay, now let me bear my soul into these vocals. Like most times, I don't know if any other artists relate to this, but most times I'm like, I'm so exhausted. Like I have no walls up. I have no defenses. I'm just going to sing what I feel because usually by the end of a session, pretty vulnerable you know it's it's pretty exhausting and so I, I think a lot of that is what happened on that album and also on my upcoming EP a very similar thing happened where I just wanted I cut them and I remember sometimes being like mm, we can get more vocals like day two or and just these producers just being like no listen like especially my good friend Johnny Shore he was like no no listen like we're gonna get these like it was the day after a breakup they're like listen just trust us like we're gonna get these yeah like perfect was, timing so right. <laughs> he was so right. Like they sound better than anything I could ever do now. But wow. Yeah. Well, um. So you're. Are you in LA now? New York. Oh, New York. Okay. Mm-hmm. Okay. So once I mean, even pre putting out that that EP, is that you had obviously you put songs out and then you had a moment on TikTok. Was that that was before the EP came out? Yes. Okay. So was that was, kind of your first big, like, whoa, like there's a big validation. Yeah. It was I should bizarre. be doing this. Yeah. Uh, it was September, 2020. Mm-hmm. And I absolutely was not expecting it. Like I, I, I truly, the whole story is insane, but the small, the small story is I was ready to give up. Again, I was like, Mm-mm. like, I can't do this. I don't have what it takes. I don't know how to get traction. We're in a global pandemic. And my brother, Mateo, was like, hey, you know, you have like 100 songs you wrote this year. Would you maybe like try posting them on TikTok for a week, maybe two weeks? And if nothing happens, okay, like give up. Okay, but first try posting. And I was like, uh-huh, like, okay, I trust you. So I'm going to post. And so I did like day one of sharing my original music till I get some love. Day two, day three, day four. And on day four, I remember I got like 6,000 views and I was like, oh my God, like I'm going viral. Yeah. 6,000 views, very bad amount. And then day five, I posted Never the One and I woke up to 10 million views. And I was like, oh <laughs> my gosh like what is happening I'm still in college like I was I was in back in Boston for a little while um but yes it was because of that that I kind of had my first moment and then from that never the one came out of that and then the EP came out of that and I started going back and forth from New York and LA so now I'm pretty bi-coastal at this point oh my gosh so you are putting songs up day five I mean, the 6,000 views, I'm sure you were like, all right, let's, this is working, let's go. I mean, to this day, still, if I get 6,000, I'm like, okay, okay. Yeah, that's a solid number for sure. But then to put the song up and get 10 million, like, Mm -hmm. so you, you what, like do your little, you you do your video of the song, 
and what go to sleep do you are you checking it periodically or is it just like oh, okay let's just see what happens i'll wake i'll wake up tomorrow and we'll do the next video and kind of see what that one did this is the most classic rosie story you're gonna hear right now or or old rosie new rosie's a lot more responsible with her phone but old rosie <laughs> is not very responsible with her phone so i posted it at 6 p.m and my phone died and i was like okay all right she's dead i'm going on a two-hour walk i'm going on a walk with my friend like i'm just gonna let it like you know let it be I'll, dead i'll charge it so <laughs> my phone dies i'm gone for two hours and then i'm locked out of my apartment and i realize i have no way of getting in but then i remember like i live in the front of the building on the first floor so i somehow like open my computer and it's also at one percent and i like text my roommate i'm like hey can you let me in like i'm stuck outside and i'm like looking at my text and I have like 10 texts and I'm like, Rose, you gotta check TikTok. And I'm like, I'm in a life or death situation here. Like I'm stuck outside <laughs> Boston is like sketchy as fuck. Like I need to get inside my apartment. Like I don't know where my roommates are. Like both of my screens are dying. Like what? I don't care. Like what? TikTok, you know, I'm like, who cares? So I finally get in, right? Life saved being a little dramatic, but I got in and after two hours, it was at a million. And I was like, okay, so or like 980. And I was like, Mateo, like, do you think it's going to get to a million? He's like, girl, he's like, mm, <laughs> you are way past this now. Like you're in deep. So then that day it hit 3 million and I went, I fell asleep. I was so exhausted from, you know, life. And when I woke up it had, it had eight. And so I was expecting like, and then throughout the day, 10 and then 15. And now I think it's just like chilling at 17, but like, I, chilling. <laughs> but like when I tell you going to bed that night, I had no idea that I'd wake up the next morning with every major label in my email, every major publisher, every like it was like overnight. And that they always say that, you know, it happens. It's like one moment it happens overnight. But I, I don't think I really understood the gravity of the situation. Right. And when yeah. that happens, are you like overwhelmed at that point? I mean, to get that many people and you know seven ten million whatever views in one day and now you have labels are like hey like what you know what's going on and now it's just like from almost you said you almost wanted to stop i you did wanted i was stop. ready to quit yeah and then your brother's like just post something for whatever two weeks and then five days in it's like it works right and now all these people are like blocking to mm -hmm. you like, how do you even handle that? Are you just like, uh, like, yeah. well, you know, I wouldn't so, even know how to juggle that. Yeah. I need to clarify. Also, I, I wanted to quit. The reason I wanted to stop was because I loved music more than anything, but it was really painful feeling like I wasn't enough. It wasn't because I didn't love music. You know, it was because right. I loved music and it just felt like it, it felt like it wasn't working out. And I felt like trying to get into the industry and trying to get hype and trying to get uh, like notice, it felt like I, I was untalented. So that was a me thing. That was a me problem. But I always specify that, like I wanted to stop because I loved it so much and it just hurt. Mm -hmm. Anyway, I have never cried more in my life <laughs> than the week or the month that going viral happened. And I know, like, I know how privileged, I know how privileged it sounds. And I know how privileged I am that I was able to get such a huge platform overnight, but I have literally come from the smallest community ever. And suddenly 
millions of people were like, oh, like the girl who wrote the song that counts from 10 to one. And suddenly it was like, who are you going to sign with? And, you know, label meetings and presidents and, and throughout it, like my base level was gratitude. And, you know, it still is to this day. Like my base level was like, I'm grateful to be here. And I'm so, so lucky that I get this chance that the algorithm picked it up, that I wrote Uh the song and posted it at the right time. Right. Like my base like emotion was gratitude, but everything going off of there was like, Oh my God, what the fuck? So many big decisions. Oh my gosh. Like these are major life-changing decisions. Am I going to have to drop out of college? I did. Am I going to have to move out of Boston? I did. Like everything, (laughs) everything changed and I could feel it. I was very perceptive to the fact that everything was changing, but it was everything I ever wanted. So then there were also like happy tears in there. And I was like, Oh my God, like signing a deal. Like, flying now I get to fly to LA and just it it was the biggest whirlwind of emotion so when I say I cried which I'm not always a big crier so it says a lot but I just it was such a big experience there were so many big feelings involved oh for sure I can't even imagine what that would be like and then I mean it wasn't like that song you know was just it and then you kind of fell off right I mean and that's what I would have I would have that thought in my mind, like, okay, this moment happened. Now all these people are, you know, paying attention to me. Now the stakes are higher. And like, am I going to be able to, you know, uh, deliver a second song? And, and you, you did obviously, but not only that, but to get people to leave the TikTok app and go on Spotify and stream the song. Now it's at like almost 35 million streams, which is a huge, I mean, that's a huge accomplishment in itself. Mm-hmm. But like going after that's all happening and, and you're getting these meetings and this, that, and the other thing, like, were you concerned about like, will the next song do this or is it going to be, am I going to feel kind of back to where I was? Yes. I mean, it was a huge concern. And just also I was one of, I think 76 people who had a moment in COVID and then got signed off of one moment on TikTok. Cause I was like part of, I guess, like the first wave of that to happen. Mm-hmm. And so it was pretty uncharted territory. Like right. we didn't know that there was going to be a huge drop off. We didn't know if I would have a sustained career, you know, like we, there were so many questions, but the way Mateo and I looked at it is we were just like, okay, our analogy is it's not a marathon. It's a, sorry, it's not a sprint. It's a marathon. Uh-huh. So well, in running, right. It's all about endurance. Like you're not going to run at the pace. You're going to run a hundred meter sprint versus running 26 miles. So every decision we made, we made based on it being one we would agree with and, and hopefully it would sustain us long-term. So mm-hmm. that was like our first decision, right? It was like, okay, whatever decision we make, it's not going to be about how much money. It's not going to be about like how it feels right now. It's going to be, how is this going to help us in a year, in five years, in 10 years, in 15 years? And so first, just making decisions like that set us up really well because we had the best, we got the best team ever, you know, like we, we really now get to work with people we love and, and I love Arista and I love Warner Chapel and I love my lawyer and my agent and just everything we chose, we ch- chose on, on the basis of the idea that like, we'd be working with them for years, years and years, mm-hmm. you know, this is not short term. And so obviously there was disappointment when, you know, retail therapy came out the next song and it got, you know, less streams and it got a million views on TikTok, which at the time I was like, oh, like only a million, which I would kill for that now. <laughs> you know, I would kill for that now. But 
the hype definitely went down, but it's just about once you get to the mountain, it used to be, okay, now you're on the mountain and you stay there. Now it's like, you get to the mountain, you go back down a little bit, get a new mountain, go back down a little bit, new mountain. And right. so you start to like get long-term growth that looks like this. But yes, it, it was and is a concern, you know, like wanting to be legitimate and feeling like a legitimate artist. And I'm, I'm feeling like three years out now that, it's, I'm starting to be perceived that way. And I'm, I'll say you're 100% a legitimate artist. Thank you. And I feel that way. I mean, I like I said, when I went viral, I had 100 more songs in the vault. Like, it was not like it was just, oh, this is my one song that I wrote. Right. Oh, here's 100 more. So it felt good to also have a catalog. So when mm-hmm. we sent out to, like, labels or we were talking to people, it was like, oh, here's 15 songs that she also wrote this month. <laughs> you know what I mean? Like, yeah, it wasn't like, oh, all these people are coming to your door. And you're like, well, actually, I just kind of made that up yesterday and i don't know I, I, you don't you didn't have any backlog of anything right it was like right. you exactly. have this whole life of music prior to that moment you were like you set yourself up so when the moment happened you were there and ready for it exactly right? we always You're say prepared. like there's no such thing as overnight success a moment can happen overnight like i had a moment that happened overnight but i started putting in that work when i was 12 you know right. like i started going to college and studying music when I was 18, like, it's not like that was just counts for nothing. Right. It wasn't an accident that you just put the song up and people started. Right. Like 10,000 hours, like 10,000 hours for real. Right. Yeah. And I mean, and you said like your retail therapy didn't, it had a million. I mean, it's still a million plus on Spotify. It's 4.5 million plays. I mean, and all this other songs on the album, I mean, the songs on the record are over all of them pretty much have like a million or more. So it's like people stuck around and, and dug what you're doing enough to want to check out other songs and, and stay as a fan of, instead of just, Oh, that's the one song. It's like, Oh, you know, I'm a fan of, of this person. And I like the other songs that Rosie's done. As yeah. Well. I mean, that to me, that's one of the many reasons why I'm so grateful for any fans that I may have is because not only are they fans, but a lot of them have been fans and they stuck around. And that just means so much to me. And, and a big part of who I am as an artist is I, I just want to meet everyone. I, I want to interact with everyone. I want to be on friendly terms with all these people, because it's like, if you're, if you just support me, like by you just simply supporting me, I just want to simply support you. And I don't know how to do that, but like, I really want it to feel mutual because it's so amazing that people take hours out of their life to make, you know, fan accounts and travel from so many crazy places to see shows and to stream my music. And it's not little, you know, like it's not little at all. And I, I really do never take it for granted because it's so lucky that I even have one monthly listener, you know, like even to have one person that loyally listens is, is, so fortunate that you know isn't my parents so every every little you know uptick every little number every like little fan it definitely doesn't feel little to me for sure yeah so i want to hear about the new song because i like i said i've been listening to it all morning long uh someone you once had it's i love the hook is awesome like tell me a little bit about this song yeah so i wrote that with my favorite producer slash writer duo their names is after names are after hours and they did a lot of the one direction stuff so that's if you oh, know wow. they are like that's i usually say that and 
going into the studio again, I just happened to have an LA trip right as I was going through a breakup. And it was the biggest blessing in disguise because I got, you know, a whole project out of it. But I remember that day I showed up to the studio and I was like, guys, like, listen, I want to feel sorry for myself today. Okay. Like me and this person broke up yesterday. I feel terrible. I don't have any positivity in me. Like if you meet me, I'm a pretty positive person, but like, I was like, I don't have any in me. And they're like, what if you wrote a banger about like how much better off you are? And I was like, I don't think you hear me. Like I just said, it was like completely opposite of what I said. And they're like, no, no, no. Like you have it in you. Like imagine if you took this pain and you turned it into like a, your loss kind of song. And I was like, okay, like, all right. If that's, if that's, you know, like I, I really trust them. And, and that was my first time working with them. But even so, like there was this innate trust and they said, you know, let's, they were like, we really want you to find your power in this instead of just feeling sorry. And I was like, okay. And so then that's how that happened. And, and now the chorus of, of someone you once had is, all about how, you know, if you have to lose me to want me back, that's not going to happen. You know, like if you're going to walk away and that's what it takes for you to then realize that you want to come back to me, that's not how this works. And I stand by that. And I stood by that, like still that person to the day. It's not like a, you can come back in my life whenever you want. It's like, no, you had the opportunity. You lost the opportunity. And they really helped me find that part of me. Cause I feel like I hadn't tapped into that in a song. And so when I say that, this song is kind of the beginning of a new era. What I mean is like, this is the beginning of me finding power within the pain and finding confidence within the pain. And instead of just expressing the straight up pain, which there was a lot of, I'm finding ways to grow from it and I'm putting it into my music, which is new. And there's a lot of that in this next project. And, you know, especially in someone you once had, it's like, I'm claiming, claiming my power, you know? You kind of mentioned earlier that, you we were talking about the mic and you know re authentically reproducing that those feelings when you were singing certain songs like going into this ep you you get to la to work on the ep and you said you were fresh fresh breakup and was this song the the only one that you wrote that day or like was this was the ep kind of put together quite quickly just because you're tapping into that moment that week, a couple of the songs happened. A couple of the songs from the project happened. But, you know, like I said, like, it, that was the beginning of me realizing just, like, how I was able to turn pain into learning and confidence. And so from that, like, someone you once had marked that. But after that is when I really began realizing the theme of the project, which is not heartbreak at all but just healing like growing finding myself like actually loving myself for the first time like so so that really that that did start it that was definitely what began um my vision for this project okay so there wasn't really like a project in mind maybe or it was just kind of like, i'm just gonna go out here and write and yeah we that knew, song it sparked the concept yeah exactly it's like we knew there were some songs that I had written previously that we wanted to be on the project. We knew that we hadn't gotten them all and that we wanted to write more, but we hadn't really honed in on the theme. We hadn't really honed in on the overall purpose, you know, because the last 
project was 20 milligrams of happiness, which is all about mental health and heartbreak and learning about, you know, taking prescription medication for the first time. And just, it was very me oriented or you oriented. Cause it was like, you hurt me. You broke my heart. You ruined all my favorite songs. And right. this one now is very me oriented and it's very healing. It's like, this is how I feel. This is what I want. You're someone I once had. Okay. Yeah. You flipped the script. Yeah. So you just like, it, like, I know it's someone you once had, but like, you'll see, you will see like, a lot of it is more me oriented and just towards uh, finding myself. So that was really the moment, that song that we were like, oh, uh, like I see where this is going. Okay. And you talked about having vocal takes that maybe you didn't want to redo. Like what, what like, can you tell me a bit about like that part of uh, putting together the EP? Yeah. So one of the biggest lessons I learned and have been learning for years, but specifically throughout this EP is that there really is no such thing as perfect. And as a chronic perfectionist, that was a tough pill to swallow because in my earlier records and even in my earlier EP, it was like everything had to sound perfect. There couldn't be any type of like notes that were out of tune or saying a lyric wrong or like I was so fixated on everything being perfect. Mm-hmm. And then I started to get into this project and I started hearing these little imperfections and I was like, wait, that sounds really cool. Like where there's like a break in my voice or like where I sing a little bit out of, out of time, but it's because I'm being super emotive and I'm singing with so much emotion. And so it was this project where I really learned to embrace all of these, you know, what I would call like musical quirks or imperfections. And so like with, there's this one song it's not out yet but like I said this producer Johnny he was like listen I think you should get the whole take today I think you should do it now I think you're in such an important like state emotionally and it's important to really get this down and as much as I heard after there were parts that I was like oh like maybe I changed that or oh like maybe I could redo that better overall like the the overall song was so powerful from that first take that we only after went in and did backups and stuff. Oh, wow. Yeah. yeah Cause you, again, you could, you felt like you couldn't recreate the same. And the same thing with, I would say almost every other song on the project is that a lot of them were, were day ones because I just realized I was like, it's not about perfection. It's really not. It's about emotion. It's about feelings, you know, what makes you feel the most. Right. And was there like a, I mean, to, to, Kind of break through that because i'm a perfectionist as well it's hard for me to like give something up like i can spend hours just like nitpicking something that no one would ever in a million years even know what i was looking for like like you said this word what way like who cares like what do you what <laughs> like was that something that must have been difficult to do and at what point are you like how do you kind of come overcome that you just kind of hear it a different way and go you know what this does work in this or was it just you know kind of the producers telling you or, you know, giving you the confidence, like, you know, this is a great take or how did you kind of overcome that, you know, perfectionism? Yeah. I was going to say that I, I think in every one of these situations, I'd like to think of myself as the least experienced and the one who has the most to learn because I just want to constantly be learning. And so I really believe in the power of collaboration. I think it changed my life when I started collaborating And so 
finding collaborators you can really trust and finding collaborators where when they say something, you really feel it and you believe it. So I learned to kind of let go of that voice when people who I started really trusting and that really trust me started telling me like, Hey, no, no, like, don't worry. Like that sounds great. I'd be like, I don't believe you, but I'm going to trust you, you know? And they were right. They were right. I can't think of a time when they're like, no, no, like, trust me. It sounds great. And it didn't, you know, mm-hmm. it, that's, you have to believe in, in the power of, of the journey too. And like, you might, might not necessarily like how it sounds in that moment, but you might realize that they were right and they had foresight, you know, like they were looking into the future with it, with backup vocals or with anything. So, yeah, I think a big part of me being able to let go of that idea of, of perfectionism was trusting these people who just have more experience. They just have more experience than me. You know, I'm young. Like I, I just got into this industry. It's been two, three years. That's nothing compared to, you know, so many people. Like I really do think of myself as a student. I, I would like to think I always will. And, you know, here are these incredibly experienced producers, songwriters, et cetera. Like, who would I be to not trust them? Sure. Yeah, but I could see how it would be since it's your, you know, your project and your voice and and your songs. Like, okay, like wanting to be a little bit of, I would be the same way, you know, like, oh, yeah, you you don't want to control the situation. But instead of you just like let it go and let somebody else kind of take the reins for a minute. Well, you come up with something really. Yeah. Cool. And I think too, with control specifically, I just, I have, I'm just a bundle of anxiety. I just have anxiety. I've had it my whole life. And such a big part of anxiety is trying to control. What you can't control, mm-hmm. you know, trying to control things that simply are out of your control. And so again, that was a huge lesson for me because as soon as I figured out, like, I don't need to be in control of all this. This is actually why you hire people or you have collaborators or a team. Like this is actually for you to let go of some of that, you know, like this is actually supposed to be a weight off your shoulders. And so like, as soon as I started really seeing it like that and, you know, working with my therapist and all this other stuff, like control became a lot more fun because it was like, okay, here are parts that I can't control. Like what kind of delivery, what am I going to deliver if this vocal take, you know, what kind of ideas am I going to bring to sessions versus what exact chords does this have to be? And what does the production have to be exactly? Like really like loosening up a little bit. I think that was really the best thing that ever happened to me as a creative because nothing about creativity is linear or controlled in my opinion. No, hundred yeah. percent. And the, the, the EP is called five songs uh, for healing with, and was this like, you know, like, like you had the one that you just released, you know, someone you once had, and then that kind of sparked the, you know, idea or the, you know, the concept coming forward for the album. And then does each song focus on a different storyline or is there like a, a full, like over like umbrella, any uh, umbrella, like concept through the whole thing? Yeah. So when people talk about healing to me, I always associated it with positive emotions like I've healed like I've bloomed I'm a flower I've grown Mm -hmm. like I'm just killing it like I'm healing but I think there are other parts of it that people don't talk about which are the growing pains and the you know the the aches and the losses and all of the sad parts of healing, you know, because like if something's broken, you got to lose some things to to fix it. You know, you can't hold on to everything. And if you want to fix something that's broken, like things got to let shit go. Mm -hmm. And so 
basically this EP is just a combination of all the emotions that come with healing. So whether it's healing my relationship with my body, healing my relationship with my mental health, with heartbreak, with someone else, right? Like they're all these different, um, I like to call them like mini themes within mm-hmm. the big theme, which is healing. And so it's just really because I have quite literally been healing so much over this past year. It's just about exploring all the ups and downs, especially the downs that come with it, because I think, especially in this day and age, we've really um, painted a picture about healing that it's this like wholesome and like like aesthetic thing, and like it can be really intense, and it can be it mostly is not easy. It's mostly difficult, and I just really wanted to shed light on all the parts of it, not just you know the like happy girl healing parts of it. Yeah, I like that a lot because when it comes, to, yeah, healing the the when you are like not healed, but to a certain point when that's the image you want to pursue or show like, oh, I'm here, I'm healed. I'm here. I'm great. But it's like all the work that you did up to the fact up to that point is all hard, right? Well, yeah. I mean, it's, it's not, there's no reward if you didn't work hard for it, you know? Right. I love it. Well, I appreciate your time today. Thank you so much, Rosie, for doing this. Of course, thank you for having me. Yeah, I love your music. Um, I love the 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 current single that you just put out. I can't wait to hear the rest of the EP. Your merch is dope too. Thank I will you. say. <laughs> yeah, I really like that hoodie. We'll get um, you one. We'll get you one. Oh, thank you. That's that would be amazing. Yeah, you you ruined all my favorite songs, and then just the logo on the front is cool. The two little flowers. Thank you. Yeah, I was. I thought of that like one night. Really? Like happy and sad roses holding hands. Yeah, it was just like such a random thing. And then it turned into like the logo. Yeah, it's cool. It's really cool. I love your merch. I think it's really awesome. Um, And again, thanks for doing this. I have one more quick question. I want to know if you have any advice for aspiring artists. Mm. Where to start? I do. I do. Let me calibrate. (laughs) Take your time. It's hard because there are so many things I think about, like what I would tell my younger self as like a younger creative, but I would say like truly more than anything. And this was something I got from my good friend, Jake. It's this quote that says an object in motion stays in motion, which is like, in my opinion, what that means for me is just if you work hard, things will happen. I know they talk about luck. I know it's, the right place at the right time and chance and all of these things. But at the end of the day, none of that would happen if you didn't work hard for it. So if you are doubting yourself, if you don't know where to go, if you don't know what to do, just keep working hard at something, at the thing that makes you happiest, at producing, at writing a song, at at lyrics, at the piano, whatever it may be work hard at it because I've never met anyone who regretted working hard or told me it didn't pay off. You know what I mean? Like, yeah, that would be my advice. And an object in motion stays in motion. So just like always keep yourself in motion and working hard. Bring it back for you.